series two of Gin and Topic. If you've forgotten, I'm Sarah. And I'm Anya. And we drink gin. And we don't know anything. <laughs> but it's okay, because we've got a load more experts. We've got some really cool topics, and we're going to find out about them. Yeah, while drinking gin. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Welcome to Gin and Topic. And this week we are talking to Belinda Nicholson and she is a postdoctoral research assistant in the Department of Physics at Oxford University. Our topic this week, yeah. it is astrogin. What is astrogin? Well, that's what we're going to find out. Um because astrogen isn't really a real thing. Good, good starting point. Basically, gin in space. Right. Which now all I can hear is the Muppets and pigs in space, but it's gin in space. Oh my God, I'm doing an episode <laughs> with a crazy woman. And we are going to have the question mm. that we're going to question attempt mm-hmm. to answer. Um, is where is the best place for gin in the universe? Your house, because it's free. Yeah, but if you could go anywhere. What about if you could have a gin while sat with the doors open of the TARDIS in space? I'm scared of heights. (laughs) With a doctor of choice. Oh, well, am I trying to snog him or am I trying to be mates with him? Well, that can be up to you, really. It could also be Jodie Whittaker, who I do love. Um... Well, for childhood me, I'm going to say David Tennant. But as of right now, I think I actually want, like, a Matt Smith doctor. Yeah. But then also Eccleston and then also... Oh, well, I'd had them all, really. Okay, so it could be a variety of gins. A variety of gins. In different different points of space with different doctors. I'm going to go controversial. Actually, I don't want the doctor there. I want the ponds there. That's who I'm in the mood for right now. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well... So the reason why we are talking about where is the best place for gin in the universe is because um, tomorrow is World Gin Day. So it seemed like quite appropriate to be out of this world today. Yeah. And because... Um, because Belinda, who we are talking to, is one of the co-authors of a paper, a research paper, that was written last April Fool's Day. <laughs> so right. it's not really based not in a, a huge amount paper. of okay. science. Okay, got it. Um, but it was basically entitled Astrogin and looking at where the best place in the universe is for gin. Do we know anything about space, though? Because nope. Belinda <laughs> works on um, space and most specifically... She works on exoplanets. Okay, so I have no idea what that is. I have no idea about space. Literally all my space knowledge is from watching Doctor Who. And I don't think any of it's accurate. So I was never in space as a kid. I love looking at stars, but I never went through that like space phase. I've never wanted to be an astronaut. I think the whole idea of it is terrible. Yeah, I've never wanted to. It seems a bit claustrophobic to me. Awful. And how do you wash your hair and do your skincare routine properly in space? (laughs) Oh dear, so you're not going to space. I'm not going to space. I love the idea of space and I think, I mean, the pictures and everything are amazing. I don't know anything about it. I don't know what exoplanets are. No idea. I don't know where would be the best place in the universe to drink gin. But I think if I was going to choose somewhere, 
I would, I'd choose the restaurant at the end of the universe, which is from the Hitchhiker's Guide I honestly thought you were about to say Uranus just for the jokes. <laughs> oh, yeah, could be. But yeah. anyway, so should we let Belinda Let's in? Let and then we'll we can talk about what gin we're going to drink. Hello. Hi. <laughs> now, have you got gin? I do, I do. So I got super excited uh, when you guys were, uh, yeah, you told me about this website, magical website that I can go to and order these this, this gin. And so I got a whole sample oh, dram pack. Oh yeah, so I got the, I got the the um the moonshot gin, yes. which I'd never heard of before, and it's very exciting. And I just opened it and had a whiff, and I'm just mm-hmm, excellent. Mm-hmm. Along the astronomical theme, I found Hendrix now do a lunar yes, gin. I've seen this yeah yeah. so i got a little sample dram of that one and then i cheated on gin with spiced rum and uh have there was one called horizon spiced rum and that's black the 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 black hole image it's all about that that black hole so it's also astronomical themed and then i also got a couple of other random ones but because i got excited and went i'm gonna fill the whole pack Okay, so yes. I'm gonna I'm gonna open up this amazing little. Oh, yeah, yeah, that smells amazing. We have put ours with some fever tree, um, refreshingly light, like one of these guys. Um, yes, <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, one of those, absolutely. But then we've been bougie because Sarah yeah. said, "Oh, what do you want in your drink today?" And she said, "Would you like?" Blood orange. And I was like, well, normally we don't have that. So, <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Well, cheers. Cheers. Enjoy. Oh, yeah. That is delightful. Oh, that is I'm, good. I'm sadly garnishless because I looked mm. into my fruit bowl <laughs> and saw some, I've got some sumas, but they're kind mm. of, it doesn't have the. No, it's too. Density, it's too soft. Yeah, yeah. it is. To, it goes to, mushy. To, to properly mm. garnish. And then I had a very sad looking lemon. <laughs> um, and I don't know what's going to happen to that lemon. <gasps> Poor lemon. Oh. So we chose Moonshot Gin just because it was Moonshot and therefore had the connection with space. Yeah, spacey space. But I didn't realise, and I thought it was just like that was the stroking name of it. The bottle. I am <laughs> stroking the bottle because. So the botanicals used to make the gin in this bottle was lifted into near space over 21 kilometres on the 28th of May 2019 and exposed to air pressure of less than one hundredth of that at sea level before being vacuum distilled for freshness and elegance. (laughs) So we can literally taste the stratosphere. Nice. I like it. I'm not sure I could taste it. But I don't I know what the stratosphere would no. taste like to know if I was tasting I mean, the stratosphere. I'm sure it's done something. I'm sure like subjecting it to lower atmospheric pressure will have done something to the botanicals. Like, mm. uh, I don't know, it will have maybe released some extra extra bits yeah. it's of flavour. It. It's given it a zhuzh. I mean, it tastes great. It does. It's divine. Mm. And so each time they make, so apparently they've made, you know, second batch of, and each time they make it, they have to send off all the botanicals 
to the subject it to the air pressure and then vacuum pack it and bring it all back down again. <laughs> they must have a mate in the space industry. Yeah, they must have to. a mate with a with a uh, with one of those special balloons that can go up to high altitudes. Mm. Um, oh, hold on. Oh. Also, not only do they do that, but let's what are the botanicals? We have got juniper. Yep, can taste that. Coriander. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, yeah, mm. I kind of get coriander. Cubed pepper. Okay. Why cubed pepper? Is that a different kind of pepper? You can pack it more closely, pepper? maybe. Fresh lemon peel. Oh, it is a bit lemony. Definitely oh, get that. And moon rock. And that's literally what it says on here. It no. goes, oh, no. and moon rock. Moon, as in like rocks from the moon? As in a bit of the moon? Um, I can't be drinking a bit of the moon. Surely that's not good for you. So I, does I that also mean that you? they've got a bit of the moon down to the down to Earth, and then they've taken that moon rock up to the stratosphere? Now I'm just on Wallace and, and Gromit. Now I'm just on Wallace and Gromit, and then being like the the cheese. <sighs> yeah, does that mean just get a jar and kind how of how do like... they put it in? I don't know. Maybe they've got a rock and then they've got a little, uh, like, uh, what is it, macroplane, and then they just grate some in, like nothing. Grate some perfect. <laughs> bit yes. like truffles. <laughs> Would you like a little moon rock truffles. with that? Truffles, not Meg standard, truffle bougie. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I think it tastes really nice. It's nice, it's good. I like it. Is, it. it is dangerously drinkable. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we were talking beforehand about what we know about where the best place is to drink gin. Mm-hmm. Personally, I think it's the restaurant at the end of the universe um, because I like the Hitchhiker's Guide. You know, mm-hmm. there we go. Yeah, solid choice. Get to watch the end of the universe. Totally. Cool. Um, yep. With Anya, I suggested that Here's maybe the in the TARDIS. I'm scared of a lot of things. I'm scared of heights. So while the TARDIS sounds great, I would be a little bit worried. You know, I'm not sure I'd want to see the view. I'm also scared of the unknown and planets that are unknown scare me. So my ideal place to drink gin is somewhere that I know. So I need to be convinced that there is a better place to drink gin. (laughs) We also talked about exoplanets and we have no No idea idea. where they are. No idea. Well, let's start with this paper. (laughs) Written last year as an April Fool's... Yeah. Joke. And I have to say, we haven't read the paper, so we don't know what's in it. Mm-hmm. We just know that it was about where the best place to drink gin is. Yes. So I have to stress that this this article, this paper is in big, hefty, giant, you know, ironic quotation marks of paper mm-hmm. because... It was released on April 1st and that was very intentional. It was, I mean, this this was a concept that was just a bit of fun that, um, you know, me and my colleagues, we're, we're all a fan of gin and uh, we've been, uh, we research exoplanets and we're like, okay, well, what's, um, you know, it's, it's fun to poke fun of yourselves and this is, this is sort of what this article is more about. It's more about making fun of ourselves and going, you know, we're doing... We're trying to find planets, so we're trying to find habitable planets. But yeah, this article was was just a bit of fun to think about, even just to think about. Okay, if wh- how do we want to define habitability? How you know what would we think of as habitable? Where would we want to live? Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, the, the easier answer among our colleagues was we want to live somewhere where we can get a gin and tonic. Yeah, mm, so, makes sense. Uh, assessing, okay, well, what does juniper need? Well, juniper is pretty hardy and it can grow in a variety of climates, but it does need seasonal changes. So, mm. you know, you're going to need something, a planet with an axial tilt so that you get your summer, autumn, winter, spring. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's going to have to be close enough to its host star so that it mm-hmm. is warm enough to have liquid water because water is important for all sort of facets of life as we know it. Um, and then, okay, so you've got the juniper. Uh, you need to garnish it. So, I mean, you've gone with the citrus garnish and we decided that that was the uh, the appropriate garnish <laughs> to have. I mean, we did we did specify the Hendrix exception mm-hmm. of, of cucumber. Course. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, very valid. But... Uh, we concluded that, you know, uh, to stick with the sort of the more standard citrus as being the, the sort of broader consensus of acceptable garnish. Uh, and then, of course, there's tonic because you need to have that tonic yeah. with the gin. I mean, you can have the gin by itself, but the tonic is is a crucial element. Uh, and so with that assessing, okay, well, could we go about detecting tonic? Mm-hmm. Uh, t- tonic has this amazing ability where the quinine in it fluoresces. So it glows yeah. in in blue. So it absorbs mm-hmm. in the UV and it glows blue. And so, okay, <laughs> made up this this coefficient. Okay, sure. <laughs> let's let's look for quinine in atmospheres. And if we see this excess in the blue, then maybe there's quinine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was just a lot of fun. But it was it's in it, it's a fun thought experiment of going. Okay, well, you know, maybe where would you find gin and tonics? And yeah. is that maybe a better way of defining a habitable zone? It's not. I'm not advocating that at all. Um, I think it's a good way of yeah. defining a habitable yeah. zone. And so were there any conclusions that you got? Or <laughs> is there somewhere? Um, I mean, where would be the place you would choose? So there is, um, you know, in, in, in our figure, we had, you know, supposedly one planet in this, this TRAPPIST system. Mm-hmm. So this is a really exciting system that was found a few years ago. You've got a whole lot of these planets, seven of them orbiting around this super faint star. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a star that's about 9% the mass of our sun. It's it's tiny in yeah. comparison and it's, you know, half the less than half the um the temperature of our of our sun. So it's this sort of cold red thing. Uh but you have all of these planets that are sitting quite close. Mm-hmm. And so you end up with the habitable zone because that star is so much fainter. The habitable zone is much closer in. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you end up with about three of these planets, depending on how you draw your boundaries <laughs> of the habitable zone, uh, within that habitable zone, three to four of them. And we did, you know, with our with our rough rule of thumb, absolutely not scientifically based <laughs> at all, um, a measure of the really habitable zone, there was one planet that's like, yeah, no, maybe maybe one of the Trappist planets could 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 have gin and tonics um but that that is completely neglecting any of the actual planetary properties Mm -hmm. so if this is a gas planet (laughs) we're out of luck (laughs) or if it's completely bare rock we're out of luck (laughs) or if it's a water world Mm -hmm. we're out of luck (laughs) i don't know a lilo on a on a world with a gin and tonic i could i could do that die fairly quickly though yeah you'd have like a great Oh, I'm on a lilo with the gin tonic, and then like, oh no, wait. Yeah, could be a good moment, good way to go. <laughs> well, 
Well, I mean, you need at least some bare ground to grow the juniper bushes. Like true. So that's, true, true. that's sort of yeah. the, the minimum yeah. element. You need some dry ground for the juniper bushes and the citrus trees. Mm. Um, Fair. So where would you, where would be the best place for you to drink a gin tonic in the universe? So I... I'm actually going to give a really boring answer in the sense of it's Earth. Yay! You know, it's home sweet home. I think at the moment, as far as we know, it's going to be the best place to drink a gin and tonic. Yeah. Because uh, we haven't ultimately, found... ultimately, I was right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to be fair, maybe maybe you want to go try some new places on Earth to go drink your gin and tonic. Absolutely. Be all about that. An exoplanet is an abbreviation of extrasolar planet. Mm-hmm. So extrasolar right. meaning out of the solar system. Oh, so it's a okay. planet that is orbiting a star that is not our sun. Ooh, so that's yeah. like proper like space. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. not just like our so, space, you know, the one that you're like, oh, yeah, there's like these places, like space. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the closest one we know of is... Proxima Sen B. Mm-hmm. So Proxima. Proxima. So so Proxima Centauri is the name of the star. That's the closest star That's to so us. It's cool. about four and a bit light years away. Mm-hmm. So the light takes about four and a bit years to travel so to it's us. A bit of a trek. That's the it's a bit of a long journey. Bit of a trek. Mm-hmm. Bit of a trek. <laughs> um, it would take us a very long time to get there, even if we were traveling. I, I think I I think I calculated it once. Um, and it would take us something ridiculous like 200 and something years if we were traveling the fastest that any man-made spacecraft has ever traveled. Wow. Jesus. Yeah, several hundred years. And I think that's, you know, the fastest man-made thing uh, that's ever traveled is the Voyager space probe, which is, mm. you know, well and truly sailing outside of the solar system now. Mm. Um, just out there and it's looking just, for the it's aliens. just leaving the solar system, and that was, you know, decades and decades ago mm-hmm. uh, that that left Earth. So it's it's going to take it a long time to even get anywhere near, you know, civilization. Civilizations yeah. will have risen and died before. It and it will, might, um, for all we know, it might never make it anywhere because it might be captured by aliens. Well, that's that's the hope, right? Yeah, that'd you know, be so it's, cool. It's got the message from Earth on it, right? Yeah. It's got that that um Although I honestly uh, think they'd take yeah. one look at us and they'd be like, oh, I don't want to talk to them. Like They'd just put it back on course and go pretend yeah. you didn't notice. I mean, honestly, they're probably <laughs> like living their up. best lives and they'd see that and be like, Oh, they're kind of a mess. We'll just leave them. <laughs> we don't want them anywhere near our planet. Look what they've done to theirs. That's what I would <laughs> if I was an alien, I would look at us and I'd be like, mm, Yeah. Well think- it's interesting to think that you know, there probably is actually bits of life from Earth on that space probe. Yeah. You know, bacteria, there are some types of bacteria that are really hard to kill. Yeah. And, I mean, they found stuff that they'd left on the moon for a bit, you know, yeah, that they'd been, had in clean labs and, like, sterilised labs. And even then, there are still some of these microbes that just still survive in these mm. ex- incredibly extreme environments. And, yeah, going out and picking up something that they've left on the moon, taking it back into the lab on Earth and finding that there's still bacteria alive on it. Wow. So, you know, there's probably still bacterial... Who knows? We might seed life on another planet with that with that Voyager mm. spacecraft. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it so crashes cool. into the surface. <laughs> it's got some microbes and then it just takes off. Yeah. That is such a cool idea. Mm. And... Why are you studying exo 
planets. Why what? are you doing what you're doing? No, don't, don't you sound that. like my father? <laughs> <laughs> Why? What is the point of exoplanets? That's fine. I ask myself that that same question every single day. Uh, it's. Uh, is it to understand these planets that are outside or is there a need to get off this planet, which we know planet. there is, and therefore the finding a habitable planet going back to a pla- planet for gin, but a planet that it would be habitable for us to go and live on? Um, so I, be- I guess in a way both, but more the former than the latter. Mm-hmm. So understanding where we came from, how we came into being. Mm-hmm. At the moment, we've got one data point of the solar system, right? We've, we've, we've seen one planetary system, which we can study and try and use that to understand how planets form, mm-hmm. um, how life might start on a planet and what sort of conditions are needed. But that's just one da- data sample. Mm-hmm. We need way more than that. So searching, you know, answering that question of, are there other planetary systems? Do stars have planets? And it's only in the last few decades that we've been able to answer that question. And yes, there are heaps of planets out there. You know, stars like our sun mm-hmm. have at least two yeah. planets that we know of. So it's their planets are incredibly common. And what we've also found is a huge diversity in planetary systems. Mm-hmm. We've found types of planets that we never thought we would be able to find or never thought possible to exist. What kind of planets? <laughs> so the the first planet detected, 51 Pegasi B, mm-hmm. um, so the naming convention for planets, so I've mentioned the Trappist system and I've yeah. mentioned uh, now 51 Peg and Proxima Sen, um, so the way that we name planetary systems are it's the host star name mm-hmm. yeah. followed by B, C, D, E, F. Right. In order, roughly you're meant to go in order from like inner to outer. Yeah. What happens in, in reality is it goes the first one found, the second one found, <laughs> yeah. the third one found. Because <laughs> yeah. um, you have situations where like you'll have found a planetary system and you go, okay, B, C, D. And then someone will come along and go, hey, actually, I found a smaller one that's actually sitting closer to the star than B, Mm -hmm. and then that'll get called E. And it's like, okay, so you go E, B, F, D. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, something like that. And that's the case of uh, 55 Cancri uh, system. Um, Actually, I'm not in Kyla. I know that they're all out of order and I can never remember what the order of the planets are, but I know that E... 55 Cancri E, again, one of these bizarre worlds that we never thought would exist, um, uh, sits really, really close. It's a rocky core and it sits so close to its host star. It's so hot. It is constantly lava. Well, the whole thing it's, is just like... It, the whole thing is lava. The whole planet is lava. Oh, that's yeah. like nightmare material, that. Yeah. So what? Imagine yeah. playing the floor but- is lava on that planet. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. You, you, you're <laughs> you're not, fucked. You're not there. <laughs> So if you find a planet, you can't give it like a cool name. It's just... I mean, I do, we do in-house. <gasps> Good. Um, Good. That's what I wanted here. <laughs> planet pet names. <laughs> well, they should have pet names. <laughs> so actually, I mean, some of the, the, the famous ones, like the first ones that have been discovered, have been given names. Yeah. Uh, so for example, 55 Peg. Um reason why that one's so bizarre is that it's called a hot Jupiter. It is this massive giant planet the size of Jupiter, but it is orbiting super close to its host star. So mm. just like 55 Cancri E was sitting super close. This is something, but it's like a massive, massive gas giant huge. sitting super close to yeah. on a really short orbit. 
So it's planets like that one, they have proper names, but astronomers never remember them because we have our naming convention mm-hmm. and we're sticking to it. Yeah. Um, even though like we acknowledge that, okay, that's, that's nice that they've named them something cool, but we never remember what they are because <laughs> we're just used to our naming conventions. Mm. Um, but, yeah, in-house, uh, so I do work with the Planet Hunters TESS citizen science project. So that's run on the Zooniverse platform. Uh, Nora Eisner, mm-hmm. PhD student in our group at Oxford, is, is leader of that project. And we look through TESS data. So TESS is the... Okay, so transiting... you're going to have to explain all of yep. this because whilst I know what Zooniverse is, because I've heard about it before, okay, I know yep. that Anya <laughs> will have never heard of it and yes. many of the people listening to this will Unless have never Unless it was it. mentioned in a Harry Potter book, I don't know what it is. That's basically yeah, the rule. Yeah, no, so this... <laughs> So this is a project where citizen scientists, so absolutely anyone and everyone who has access to the internet and a web browser, can look through data from the Transiting Exoplanet Survey Satellite, TESS, Mm -hmm. can look through light curves, so measuring the light of a star uh, in time, so every two minutes they've got a data point, and look for transiting planets. So looking for a dip in the light, so a, a, a momentary dimming of the starlight uh, that indicates that a planet has has popped between us and the right. star. And then, yeah, on the planetary orbit, so it'll be like maybe a couple of hours that it'll take to, to transit across. Um, maybe only like if it's, if it's zipping around, it's not going to take very long at all. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, you'll see this characteristic dimming of the light and brightening again as it passes into and out of the line of sight. And that's one way we find planets. So and anyone can find yeah. a planet. And then give anyone. them a fun name. Yeah. <laughs> and, but they will be the only ones that will remember it but because then it will, it be will still have name. the name. <laughs> it will still have the name. Um, so we've found lots of planet candidates this way. Mm-hmm. And, yes, absolutely anyone can go on. And, you know, if, you're, if you've gone through the test light curves on Planet Hunters and you're a registered user and you've gone spent time classifying these light curves and you find one, Mm-hmm. then if we confirm it and follow it up and publish it as a paper, then uh, you'll get a chance at getting your name on that paper as well. That's cool. So it becomes your pet planet. <laughs> yeah, the citizen scientists absolutely get acknowledged on the papers that, you know, if they help classify that light curve and find that, that signal, then they also get acknowledged on that paper as a co-author. Really so cool. cool. Really cool. My role is also to help out with the the second stage of the vetting. So citizen scientists have flagged certain things and then we go through and see what the citizens have, Mm -hmm. the the volunteers have flagged and then go, okay, yes, this is a transit signal or, you know, we might check in all sorts of other diagnostic tools to go, okay, is this an actual signal or actually it looks like a transit signal but it's been caused by something you know, an, an inner solar system object flying through the field of view mm-hmm. at that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there are all sorts of strange systematic things that can happen in the data that can make you really excited that you think you found a planet, yeah. but actually it's not. One of the most common ones is having an eclipsing binary, so it's a star and another star mm-hmm. spinning around each other, blocking uh, each other out yeah. momentarily. Mm-hmm. If you've got that in the same line of sight as your your target star it might look, the, the light will contaminate. Mm-hmm. And so it'll look like you've got a nice little shallow planet transit, but actually it's a big whopping eclipsing binary in the background. Mm-hmm. And and we call those blended eclipsing binaries or in the acronym in our spreadsheet, BEBS. 
So, no. yeah, we. I, I get sad when I see this beautiful transit signal. It's like, oh, my gosh, yes, this is gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. And then I look in the background, pixels, and it's like, oh, it's a beb. <laughs> So there's there's a lot of that. There's a like the planet hunting game. You get really excited when you find something, but there's a lot of times when you're looking at the data and you go, "Nah, there's nothing there." So what are the coolest things that you found them? What you were saying about you know really unusual. Me personally, yeah. Have you found what planets have you found? What have you got? So. I still, I'm still kind of new in the exoplanet game. Mm-hmm. I did my PhD instead, studying more on stars. I was really interested in um, understanding the magnetic fields of stars, mm-hmm. and that kind of led me into exoplanets because the way that we find planets is by looking at stars mm-hmm. and inferring the planets from starlight. So that's the two main techniques that I. I use our transit method, which I just spoke about with Tess, looking for the dimming of the star. Mm -hmm. You know, you want that star to be nicely behaved as well. Uh, You want that light to not change too much Mm -hmm. because it can be really hard to find a dip in the starlight if the star's already kind of going all over the place. Um, It is possible, though. Uh, So we have found planets around very active, so what we call active stars, I mean, the power of citizen science is that Mm -hmm. sometimes algorithms can miss those, but um, the citizen scientists were able to pick out the the transits in uh, an active star called AU Mick. So (laughs) AU Microscopart. Oh, I can't, I can never pronounce it, so I just say Mick. Yeah. I hide the fact that I can't pronounce uh, um, constellation names. No, because I like that because then I'm picturing Mick from Gavin and Stacey, but like as a planet and I would totally go to that planet. So That's I'm going to cool. roll with it. <laughs> I don't think you want to go to this one. The host oh. star is not nice. Oh, uh, no. So it's a young star. Mm-hmm. So not quite sort of stable. Lots um, of aggression. House and kids. Yeah, so... Lots like of grumpy teenager. Oh, mm-hmm. oh, Lots no, of angst. Been there, don't want to yeah, go yeah, back. No, very no, spotty. Yeah. Very spotty. Mm. Oh, uh, no, Yeah. No. So, mm-hmm. which means, you know, it's probably not a particularly nice place to, to live. Mm. Uh, but they're interesting to study because, you know, our sun also went through a phase like that at some stage. So what on earth, how did, how did earth cope? How yeah, I love that. I love here. the fact that, you know, our, our son's like the old old guy, but, you know, once used to be spotty youth <laughs> and yeah. the Earth and had to deal Earth with it. just like a long-suffering <laughs> yeah. family member who's like, oh. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, um, yeah, that's one of the things that I've uh, been interested in. Uh, is studying those those stars, and then that got me sort of more into, okay, so understanding stars is important for finding planets. Ooh, cool, planets are cool. Let's find planets. <laughs> uh, and then then I sort of got into the into the planet finding rain, re- regime, and it's been really fun working with Planet Hunters Tess, uh, the with with the volunteers and the citizen scientists that have been able to to sift through all of this data and the strange things that we have been able to find. And most recent example, uh, just last week, we had a paper accepted of a new two-planet system. And one of the planets in that system, the outer planet, is a bit weird. It's uh, larger than Neptune, but okay. smaller than Saturn. 
the interesting thing is that of the sort of planets that we've found, you know, that's well and truly in our detectability Mm -hmm. sort of sphere nowadays. So we've got a whole lot of planets that we found around that Saturn to Jupiter mass regime. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then a whole lot in like the Neptune and below. In fact, the most uh, popular, so the most popular kind of planet to find is something that's either around a a super Earth to a sub-Neptune. So things that are a bit bigger than Earth, a bit smaller than Neptune. In that like kind that. of regime, those are sort of the most populous, mm-hmm. populous kind of planets. Uh, but we found this planet that is sitting between that that sort of clump of popularity of the Saturns and the clump of popularity of the Neptunes. So it's kind of a bit strange of like, okay, but how how did this end up not in either of those sort of popular spots? Why is it sitting here in sort of what we call this desert mm-hmm. um, in in uh, in parameter space. So it's going to be a really interesting one to follow up. We've mm-hmm. got a whole lot more observations happening right now uh, in, in the coming weeks and, and months to come. Doesn't it just blow your mind that there's like all of these planets, like loads, but there's only one like ours and like... It's mm-hmm. just... That we know of. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. I know, but also we know all of these ones and it's still fucking weird that out of all of them, <laughs> we're on this one. And this one is just perfect for us and it just it it makes me a little bit like oh my god I'm so tiny and everything around me is so (laughs) insignificant as an astronomer you do have the occasional existential crisis (laughs) um it does happen it's it's part of the job but you kind of just go yeah but I've got a deadline in a month so I can probably get back to that (laughs) brings you back you know yeah yeah it's it's humbling it's humbling and it really it makes you appreciate earth as well Mm -hmm. it makes me really appreciate earth Mm -hmm. because i mean yeah you say we haven't found anything like us yet and the reasons for that are mostly that we don't have the detection sensitivity yet Mm -hmm. um the earth is a tiny signal you know several centimeters per second so yeah these numbers are going to be useless for people who are who aren't used to thinking about this but so the signal of the earth is 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 tinier is smaller than the signal you just get from the star itself being a star one of the the upcoming big projects to try and detect earth is called the terra hunting experiment Mm -hmm. um so this is a new spectrograph being built uh that will go on a telescope in uh, I think it's in the Canaries. I should know. I'm on that project. Um, uh, in La Palma, which is the which is the observatory site, and the idea of that one is that they're going to stare at and and take measurements of twenty ideal candidates. So they're going to take pick twenty of the best candidates they can think of mm. to. Uh, find an Earth-like planet, and they're going to stare at these stars for 10 years. Wow. So this is the radial velocity method of finding planets. So Mm -hmm. as opposed to the transit method where we look for the dimming, radial velocity is looking for the wobble of the star caused by a planet going around it. So a planet goes around a star. I realise this is a podcast (laughs) and I'm using my hands to to gesture. But... uh, Planets don't orbit around the sun. 
the sun and the planets orbit around their centre of mass. That is one thing I do know because Sherlock didn't know it <laughs> and it was in that and he was like, how do you forget that? And he's like, I had to make space for something and I was like, I knew that. <laughs> yeah. So we, so our sun wobbles around because of the planets in the solar system. Like when your car's on the motorway and a really fast car goes past and you kind of feel it wobble a wobble. little bit because of like... <laughs> I really want to say yes, but actually no. Okay, close uh, anyway. <laughs> you can say no, it's okay. A, a for effort. Yay! Um, I got A! <laughs> I'm sorry, that was, that was unintentionally sassy. No, I um, take any A I can get. I really don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> so the... Uh, so we look for that wobble in the starlight. We can see... So as that star wobbles around in the orbit... At some point, it's going to be moving towards the Earth, and at some point, it's going to be moving away from the Earth. When it's moving towards the Earth, the light from the star will be a little bit bluer. Mm -hmm. When it's moving away from the Earth, the the light will be a little bit redder. Now, these shifts are so minute and so tiny. We rely on using the spectrum, so the starlight will have... It won't be like a nice, smooth, even white light. You'll have what are called absorption lines... Mm-hmm. So dark dark bits in the in in the starlight in the rainbow caused by atoms uh, and molecules in the star. It just solar atmosphere, stellar atmosphere, you've got hydrogen, you've got helium, you've got all sorts of elements being created in these stars mm-hmm. and those have an imprint on the light. It's a big pain for astronomers because mm-hmm. we want nice beautiful perfect really easy point yeah. sources. Mm-hmm. So then even if after that these are set up for 10 years looking and you're trying to read all these really tiny, minute things. Even if after all that they go, we might have found one. You've then got still so much more to research yeah, and then bip. and then it's a bit or it's not. <laughs> and then you're like, well, now we have to send somebody to go and investigate it. But oh no, wait, that's going to take like 300 odd years. So we're going to mm-hmm. have to send a couple of generations to go and find it. And you're going to have to procreate and I hope you like somebody who's in there with you because otherwise you're really screwing up the mission. <laughs> Like, mm. it's a fuck ton of work, isn't it? <laughs> it is, it is. But I mean, yeah, I think that's why ultimately the message at the end of the day from all of this is that there is no planet B. Yes. There is no other yes. Earth that we will feasibly be able to live on mm-hmm. because the distances are just too big. Mm-hmm. Unless we, we find some sort of physics loophole. <laughs> um to, to get Magic. over the fact that... Yay. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> yeah, the distances in space are vast and that's something that we just can't get around. Yeah. I think one of the, the things that I find really fascinating is that the planets of the solar system, like the solar system itself is just really big mm-hmm. and that we think of like... Oh, we see the diagrams of all the, all the planets in the solar system, but, you know, all of the rocky planets... So Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, we all sit pretty close to the sun. Mm-hmm. And if, if you to think of sort of the scale of you go sun to the, the Kuiper belt, so we consider like the Kuiper belt objects, including Pluto and Love Pluto. all sorts Pluto of other, other things. So comets come in from the Kuiper belt. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, sorry, Kuiper Edgeworth belt. So Kuiper is the famous person that did that discovered the the this belt of of objects. But Edgeworth was also an astronomer at the time that 
that equally made the discovery mm-hmm. but didn't get as much credit. So mm-hmm. I try to include his name in when I remember. Uh, so Edgeworth Kuiper Belt. And half. if you pick the halfway point between the two, uh, that's Uranus. <laughs> <laughs> we're still, we're not even close. Like the so halfway, I- so that's that's Uranus. And then if you go halfway again. Yeah. So halfway between Uranus and the, the the sun, you're still only at Saturn. That's weird. Yeah. And then half again, you're at Jupiter. Oh, my God. So, like. Yeah. So it's massive. It's massive. It's ridiculous. The scales are just mind-blowing. You know what? It's humongous is what it is. It is humongous. Humongous. Uh-huh. And so then when you go beyond that, we're then talking distances that we can't, we just cannot even comprehend. It's a word beyond humongous. See, this is what I mean. Existential breakdown. That's massive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I still have that moment. I love watching those planetarium shows of the scales of the mm. universe where, like, you start in... You start at Earth and you go out to the solar system. You get to the edge of the solar system. You're like, wow, the solar system is so big. Mm-hmm. And then you start, you go out to this is the local arm of the galaxy. It's like, wow, that's so big. It's like, this is our galaxy. Ah! <laughs> um, <laughs> and then you eventually go out to, and this is all, this is the, the extent that we've observed the known universe. And you're just like, I'm done. But there's probably more. <laughs> And my brain is feeling the pressure of all of it. I need a minute. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm just... Have some gin. Have some gin. It's okay. And the minute I start to think, oh, yeah, I get that bit. And then Then it's like there's another layer and another layer. And then there's all these things that we still don't know. The universe is a trifle. Mm. That's what I'm hearing. Universe is a trifle. I like it. Mm. I like it. Well, they did detect... So talking of detecting alcohol hmm. they can have they've detected all sorts of other molecules in in galaxies and in the center well in in other galaxies but also in our own galaxy in our own star forming regions um and there's a molecule that gives um raspberries their smell and rum its taste and oh. we've found it in we found presence of that that molecule in the center of the galaxy. So the center that's of the galaxy so cool. smells like raspberries and tastes like rum. That, that's brilliant. So there mm. might not be the habitable zone on a planet for making gin because there is no planet B. But mm. if we had the ability to go traveling around the universe, we'd be, be able, able to, to pill, pick all the molecules <laughs> to make a gin and tonic. Certainly, certainly. And I would say, you know, we don't know of a planet B yet. We might find one. Mm -hmm. I think the the essence of there is no planet B is that it's going to be, even if we find one, it's impossible to get there. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I'm I'm hopeful that we will be able to find an Earth-like planet around a sun-like star. I think that's that's an achievable goal and that'll be so cool to be able to do that. Especially if it also has the molecules for (laughs) juniper and (laughs) everything else that we need. I'm I'm holding out for that sign of quinine emission in the the atmosphere (laughs) of the planet. You'll have to let us know when you find it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you'll be the first to know. You'll be the first to know. Brilliant. (laughs) Excellent. Thank you so, so much. That is being brilliant. I 
learned a lot. My brain is kind of <laughs> processing a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm sorry for the accidental existential crisis. No, um, don't. No. I, it's all right. You brought it. us back together yeah, again. And it's also quite nice yeah. to have them about something that isn't like anything directly related to me. And to know that even professionals working in the field oh. still go, whoa. I think we all do because that's why we do it. Mm-hmm. We're just big kids. Yeah. You know, we're the, the, we were the annoying kids in the class that kept asking, but why? <laughs> um, and that kind of just didn't stop. Yeah. All, all scientists are big kids. That's the, that's the takeaway message, I think. So cheers and thank you so thank much. You. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Bye. Bye. Okay, so let us debrief. Woo! We have been to the moon and back. We, at least we've, we've been, been beyond some. the moon. We have been. We've been everywhere. We have. We've been. We've learned about how planets are named, mm-hmm. which is. I mean, I, I always thought people just were like naming them weird well, names. And what I find really, really funny mm-hmm. is. They name the the planets in a format so that they... But then the format doesn't the, work. But the format just seems really confusing to me. Yeah. I would prefer them to be called Bob or Horace. Jane or, you know, because I think I'd remember that more. Dimitri. But, you know, I don't work in that, so... No, I'm really glad I don't work in that because I think I'd have a breakdown every day. Really nice to know that they still they do. do. Yeah, they do, which I do like knowing. I like knowing that and knowing that, you know, yeah, you are studying all of this and you can be looking at the data. And I love the fact that the the public can be finding planets. That's quite cool. That is cool. But as well as doing that, you can just sit there and go, oh. I think, yeah, that is the tone. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, it's good, right? Yeah. And, yeah, because it is just mind-blowing. I would go as far as to say mind-boggling. Yeah, Mm -hmm. because it is humongous Mm -hmm. and that is just our universe and then you go beyond that. And the fact that you're trying to make all of those calculations through sight but not sight and... uh, Sarah's brain's gone. It's just fizzled out it's burnt out by the whole enormousness of the universe and beyond (sighs) yeah and what have we really learnt Sarah that the best place to drink gin is earth (laughs) which leads us back to tomorrow and world gin day so we get to celebrate gin on our own planet And if you've got a favourite place to drink gin in the universe, let us know. If you enjoyed this episode, listen to more. We've got tons. Got loads. And if you like them, really, really like them, you could always leave us a review because apparently they're quite helpful. You can also subscribe. You can. And then you don't even need to go and find us. We just appear. Every single week. Yeah. We are on Twitter at... Topic Gin. And on Instagram, Topic Gin. <laughs> Join us next week for another gin and another topic. <laughs>